Welcome to China Insider, a podcast from Hudson Institute's China Center. It's Tuesday, January twenty third, and we have three topics this week. The first is Miles' account of the incredible international attention the twenty twenty four Taiwanese election has garnered, and what this tells us about the evolving Taiwan paradigm. Second, we discuss PRC Premier Li Chang's visit to Davos and the CCP's attempt to woo elites with less than credible economic figures. Finally, we discuss a new study from the Committee to Protect Journalists, which ranks China as the worst country in the world for jailing both citizen and professional journalists. Miles, how are you? Very good, Shane. Wonderful. Well, so for our first topic, I'd like to go back to the 2024 Taiwan election and、uh, William Lai and the DPP's victory. Miles, now that some time has passed, we've had some time to digest the victory itself and the range of diplomatic reactions to this election. I want to ask you about those reactions.、Uh, what stood out to you in terms of international response? Well, this time the、uh, international response is unusually、uh, voluminous and significant. First of all, China's response is also very uh, uh, peculiar. Uh, China's response to the Taiwanese election is always very, very uh, uh, timely and vicious.、Uh, but this time, the Taiwanese election is so transparent,、uh, so fair and free. They really didn't have much to say.、Um, otherwise, they can make a fool of themse-、uh, themselves. So the most poignant point, the Chinese、uh, state official. Said about Taiwanese election is that、uh, you know what this is a three-way race. The winning candidate, president-elect Lai Chingde, got only forty percent of the vote. So it's not enough to represent the Taiwanese people. So in other words, they try to delegitimize、uh, his、uh, victory. I mean, China had this kind of peculiar logic. Of course,、uh, uh, implicit in this kind of a rebuttal is that、uh, you see,、uh, Xi Jinping won. Uh, his uh, presidency with a hundred percent of the vote. Therefore, the Chinese Communist Party obviously represents the uh, the real uh, Chinese people, every one of them. However, this、uh, campaign was、uh, pretty inspirational to a lot of people. That's why the Chinese government tried to block as much as they can, as usual. That、uh, that is expected. But there's really no major negative. Vicious campaign against the Taiwanese election process per se.、Uh, the Communist Party breaks the hope as if it didn't happen. But the Chinese people pay a lot of attention to it, so much so that the the CCP propaganda department had to respond with its own uh, infomercial against Taiwan's、uh, infomercial. You know, the most famous, the most influential political campaign ads was a four minutes.、Uh, Uh, infomercial produced by the winning team at DPP, which is basically about a short distance drive,、uh, featuring、uh, President incumbent President Tsai as the driver. And now, in the middle of the、uh, the the road, uh, uh, she changed the uh, uh, the driver、uh, seat and gave it to the president elected、uh, Lai, and saying that Taiwanese democracy、uh, journey is long. We have gone so far, and they keep going. Whatever we, we have been、uh, doing. So that piece, infomercial piece, is entitled the "On the Road." So the Chinese propaganda put out another one. It said "Forever on the Road," featuring Xi Jinping as the only driver in the car. So it's a very, very peculiar. But international response, back to your question, 
was really extraordinary and, and obvious. Uh, Taiwan government said, uh, so far, President-elect Lai has received congratulations from over 1,400 VIPs in 106 countries in the world. This is extraordinary, which is in sharp contrast to whatever uh, to every single election in the in the past. Uh, this is open. This is uh, uh, direct. Uh, in their congratulations uh, notes, uh, these international VIPs, including leaders from the U.S., uh, U.K., Japan, and, and in, as, a fact, as a matter of fact, all of the G7 countries, the Philippines, Singapore, etc., etc. Uh, there are several major themes. One is obviously uh, congratulations to uh, President-elect Lai, but most importantly, the congratulations notes also uh, send uh, hearty greetings to Taiwan and their people, and uh, the Japanese uh, foreign minister, Kamikawa Yoko, uh, issued a very long uh, congratulations statement in which uh, she said, I quote, for Japan, Taiwan is an extremely crucial partner and an important friend, unquote. Uh, that's pretty strong language. Uh, so, uh, and all of this uh, congratulations uh, stress the free and fair democratic process in Taiwan. I think the oblique message to China is this. Uh, all these VIPs send their congratulations uh, notes to uh, President-elect Lai uh, to stress the importance of a peaceful resolution to the tensions along the Taiwan Strait. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a dig to, to China. And of course, China went into a full panic mood. The issue in protests, demarch, and warnings to all those countries that send notes to Taiwan. And it's kind of a, like a, acting like a crybaby. Particularly harsh on the Philippines, uh, because uh, the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning issued uh, personal insults to President of Philippines, uh, President Marcos Jr., and uh, urging him to say, uh, read more books, you should study more. Uh, he will be learning a lot uh, if you do some uh, due diligence and study more. To follow up on this, I mean, there have been cross-strait tensions for decades now. Why has the reaction to this particular election been so significant? And, I mean, have previous Taiwanese elections garnered this degree of attention? No. I mean, there are, there are a few expected uh, congratulations notes to uh, to, uh, to the winner uh, in the past. Uh, you say, for, for example, in the last two elections, President Tsai Ing-wen won both of them. And uh, there are only like a couple of countries send a note in the open because they didn't want to enrage China. This time you got like you know, one or six countries <laughs> send notes uh, to, to Taiwanese uh, for their election success. Well, the reason this year is very different. Uh, uh, the reason uh, for this year's uh, outpouring uh, good feelings uh, openly expressed by international community uh, is very, uh, very complicated. Uh, first of all, the election itself was a mind-bogglingly exciting, uh, free, fair, and civilized. So the world literally was in awe. So many people watching uh, this tiny uh, island democracy that practice such a uh, extraordinary sort of show such extraordinary enthusiasm for this. And yet when the election was over and uh, Everybody recognized the legitimacy of this result. Uh, so it really is amazing. It's educational as well as inspirational. For, secondly, the congratulating uh, lie uh, shows the world's recognition of Taiwanese government's legitimacy. Legitimacy comes only from fair election. 
So implicit in those uh, congratulations uh, is that the CCP regime is not legitimate because nobody elected Xi Jinping uh, to supremacy. And uh, of course, recognizing Taiwanese government's legitimacy is just one step closer to recognizing Taiwan's sovereignty and statehood. This is why it's very important. Another thing is also the reason why Taiwanese election this year is particularly eye-catching uh, is because of China's own doing. That is, China pretty much chased out all the major international uh, media outlets out of China. Uh, most of them went to Taiwan. And uh, you have this uh, huge concentration of international media outlets in Taiwan uh, covering China. So, um, and of course, what happened locally is going to get a lot of attention. So there's a lot of reporting uh, about Taiwanese election um, uh, this year, as opposed to in the past uh, election cycles. But more importantly, Taiwan is no longer a tiny island without cloud, without the significance. Taiwan has become a high-tech giant, a leading country in semiconductor, and also a leader in next-generation high-tech innovation and design. So it is also an economic upstart and a rules-abiding, responsible global citizen. So it's not Taiwan is just the exporter of uh, uh, bubble tea and other uh, Taiwanese uh, sweet candies. So Taiwan is a very important uh, part of the international community, play a crucial role as uh, the uh, uh, Taiwan's security is also somebody else's security too. So that's why Japanese foreign minister said very well for, for Japan, for example, Taiwan is an extremely crucial partner and important friend. For our next topic, PRC Premier Li Qiang went to Davos touting China's economic comeback. He brought with him the largest entourage the PRC has ever sent to the event. Why are CCP officials so interested in it? Well, because China uh, is in a very isolated uh, position in, uh, in the world. Uh, Chinese so-called economic miracle is gone. The reason uh, is uh, that the Chinese government has lost credibility. Uh, its economic policy uh, has become the scourge of uh, global growth. Uh, that's why China sent a 140-person delegation, including the, the ministers of a main government uh, bureaucracy, led by Premier Li Chang, to uh, Davos. And this, uh, um, basically, he's tried to regain the trust of, uh, of international community, uh, uh, regain trust in China's economic uh, policies. And so by so doing that he had to make a lot of uh, phony statistics and uh, uh, just a lot of hot air there. What is Davos for our listeners? Well, Davos uh, is uh, uh, also known as the World Economic Forum, which basically uh, is uh, the brainchild of the Swiss uh, uh, billionaire Klaus Schwab. And uh, Davos is an elitist, uh, pro-CCP, anti-market billionaires club, <laughs> literally. And Davos claim uh, to be the protector of global order. Yet they're perfectly willing to destroy the earth in order to save the environment, to annihilate the national economy in order to reach the kumbaya of globalization, to redistribute other people's wealth, to seek social justice and income equity. The biggest scene of Davos, in my view, is that it is the most enthusiastic advocate for the creation and protection of the biggest contradiction of our times. That is, to allow the world's biggest non-market economy, China, to enjoy the full membership of the global free market system. Davos is so pious and faithful to this abomination 
Now they cannot retolerate any criticism uh, and acts, uh, and then Davos acted uh, hypocritically. I mean, last year you you may know this. Uh, Davos asked me to write an article about the global economic system and China's role in it. So when I finish it, and they reject it because the Davos leadership was, uh, said you know, the content is not good, too hostile to China. And I was talking about the economic reality, so I'll probably somewhere else. And that's why the CCP usually send a huge delegation to Davos. Xi Jinping himself normally would go, but this time it's China's new Premier Li Chang. Uh, so in the uh, uh, Davos conference this year, Premier Li Chang uh, made uh, two main points. Number one, he told the world economic leaders that China's economy is in very good shape. Indeed, uh, Premier Li Chang said that for 2023, China's GDP growth was 5.2%. So the second point uh, he made was China's market is still full of uh, potential uh, because there are a lot of rich Chinese people with uh, increased uh, uh, purchasing power. Uh, China has the middle-income population of over 400 million, Premier Li Chang assured everyone. And he further uh, boasted that in the next few years, this 400 million middle-income population will double to over 800 million uh, strong. And uh, their purchasing power is going to be very, very enormous. Neither of these two claims is real. They are false. They are phony without credibility. Uh, so much so that when Li Chang uttered those uh, 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 points, international economic circle respond with a negative interaction. The same day when Li Chang made those remarks, stock market fell dramatically. That day, Hong Kong e e stock dropped by 3.71%. That's a huge drop. Uh, Shanghai's uh, stock exchange dropped by 2.09%. Uh, so is the London uh, uh, Stock Exchange dropping by 1.48%, and Paris schools <laughs> dropped by 1.07% as well. So you can see the distrust in the Chinese government economic policy, its ability to write the wrong course uh, has, uh, has deepened. The reason why I say those two points were fake, untrustworthy, is because, let's just say this, uh, the 5.4% GDP increase was just a fantasy. Uh, no sane and ethical economist or political figure could responsibly uh, make this up. The Rodian Group, which is the economic uh, research uh, think tank, issued a report, a particular rebuttal, pointed out that at the best, uh, China's GDP growth in last year is not 5.2, but 1.5%. And that's a very, very sort of a, a presumptuous uh, uh, in a way. China's economy is in terrible shape. The, uh, the consumption, trade, and foreign uh, direct investment all went down dramatically. As a matter of fact, international investment in China has gone negative. In other words, there's a more international investment out of China than into, into China last year. So, um, and you have this uh, unemployment rate at the alarmingly high. Used unemployment uh, hovers somewhere between 20 to 45 percent. In, in this kind of situation, and uh, uh, the Premier of China still had the guts 
and Hootsbah to say there was a 5.2% increase, which is, which is basically, you know, it's unbelievable. Now, another one, he said there is right now 400 million strong middle-income population in China. That one is, is highly uh, uh, impossible as well. According to China's own statistics from the National Bureau of Statistics, uh, average median number of disposable income for all 1.4 billion Chinese for 2023 is a mere 2,753 yuan. That is about $400 a month. China's foremost financial paper, Caixin, says people with a monthly income over $700 a month account for only 5% of the population. That's roughly about 72 million people. Overwhelming majority, or about 964 million people, that's close to a billion people uh, in China, uh, or 69%, 69% of the entire Chinese population, make under $300 a month. So between the 5% of people making about $700 a month and the 69% making under $300 a month, or roughly about 400 million Chinese, uh, they are making between $300 and $700 per month, average about $500 a month. So anybody who is not crazy or intellectually dishonest can say that the average income of a nation is uh, uh, that uh, $400 a month is a country with 400 million middle-income class. So uh, the question, therefore, is uh, China has had nearly three decades of tremendous economic growth, mostly double-digit annually. Uh, where is the enormous wealth and money created by such a sustained economic growth gone? Well, the answer is that the wealth has obviously not been shared by the Chinese people. In fact, the Chinese Communist Party government has taken a lion's share of the benefits of this growth, which is why in China, the state is getting richer and richer, but the people are getting poorer and poorer uh, in relative terms. So well, the good news is that uh, uh, even Davos could not uh, buy a snake oil salesman, uh, Premier Li Chang's crazy statistics. This just seems like such a tone-deaf approach. You know, from my perspective, Western businesses have sort of three primary concerns with the Chinese economy right now. There's a, there's a sort of lack of credibility in their statistics. There's a lack of transparency in, in data. And then there's a lack of trust in them uh, politically. There's a political concern in terms of the environment for businesses operating there. This approach of just touting new statistics doesn't seem to attend to any of these. Um, it, it, are they really that sort of blind to uh, the, the circumstances? Or uh, what do you make of that? Okay, so uh, uh, you ask a very, very good question. I mean, uh, it's actually a uh, points to this new development in China, that is, uh, the Chinese Communist Party really run a country um, with uh, basically two branches, right? One mm -hmm. is the Chinese party apparatchiks, uh, that is the propaganda, the ideologically tuned uh, body. Uh, Xi Jinping is basically the head of that branch. There's another one, which is the, the state council, which runs the country, uh, is a governing body. So traditionally, economy, domestic policies, is done by the state council, uh, by the governing body, with some kind of uh, economists, uh, some people who are more practical and pragmatic. However, two years ago, Xi Jinping uh, took over. He said, uh, you know what? I'm going to centralize all the governing decisions, including economic decisions, 
in the Communist Party Central Committee in my hand. So he's now basically replacing the ideological win of the Chinese government with the pragmatic win of the, of the State Council. So that's why uh, all these things you see is basically a script produced mm. by uh, the Communist Party Central Committee. Though they confuse propaganda with the economic data, and that's the problem. So it's nothing surprising to me at all. But this is, a, this is a, the sad uh, situation uh, in China. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, ideology and loyalty seem to have overtaken uh, practical concern. Uh, so for our last topic, Miles, I want to ask, um, China, uh, according to a new study, has been ranked as the worst country in the world in terms of uh, jailing journalists. Uh, this is from the Committee to Protect Journalists based out of New York. According to them, China accounts for 32% of the world's total journalists imprisoned, and nearly half of the journalists China has jailed are Uyghurs. Um, so, Miles, I, you know, I imagine this doesn't come as a surprise, but uh, I'd still like to ask, what are your initial thoughts on this? You're absolutely right. This is not a, a surprise uh, because year after year after year, uh, China as uh, a so press freedom uh, always ranked uh, at the bottom or near the bottom normally is uh, number two, number three from the bottom. So it's among the worst uh, of the, all the uh, nearly 200 uh, countries in the world. Uh, this is the biggest national shame for China. So that's the, there's a consistency. It's not just by uh, uh, CPJ, uh, the Committee to Protect Journalists. Uh, all other press freedom watchers, including uh, Reporters Without Borders and the, uh, and the Human Rights Watch, they all rank China's press freedom as abysmal year after of the year. So that's a consistency. This statistic you cited, uh, China accounting for 32% worldwide uh, uh, journalists uh, uh, persecuted, uh, put in jail. Those were mostly professional journalists. Mm -hmm. In China, the press freedom is also uh, indicated by this uh, tremendous growth of citizen journalists. That is, a lot of the ordinary citizens in the age of um, uh, smartphone, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they just go around and reporting what's going on in China. Those account for tens of thousands each year put in jail by the Chinese government. Also jailed for expressing opinion online is China's specialty, and it's a dubious honor of being number one worldwide. Each year, about 80 to 90% of all people in the world who go to jail for online posting are Chinese. Think about that. That is a very chilling uh, reality. China actually, uh, uh, right now, has laws that prosecute those making critical comments online in foreign countries. In other words, if you're a Chinese citizen, or if you're just anybody, um, you live in Japan, you live in the UK, you live in the United States, if you post something on your Twitter account, for example, critical of Chinese government, and when you go to China, Chinese government will, will, has, has a legal reason to basically put you in jail. Not only that, uh, you can Chinese government also said they have the legal jurisdiction to arrest anybody anywhere in the world. This is crazy. Hong Kong's national security law says precisely that. There was a Hong Kong citizen who was a student. She was studying in Japan, and she posted something. Uh, she actually retweeted somebody else's uh, tweet, critical of the Hong Kong government's uh, bad acts. So when she went back to Hong Kong, she was promptly arrested and tried. 
and I think uh, she's now in jail. This is a really, really bizarre uh, uh, case. So that's why China's press freedom is not just China's business. It should be con uh, concerning to every citizen of the world. Well, Miles, I think that's all the time we have uh, for today. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to doing this again next week. Thank you very much, Shen. Uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of China Insider. If you enjoy the show, please share with your friends and colleagues. And for our Chinese language audience, be sure to come back and check out our monthly Chinese language episodes, which are released on the same channel, as well as the Hudson Institute YouTube channel. For more research and analysis from the China Center, be sure to find Miles on X and then head on over to Hudson.org, where you can read and watch more on these and other pressing issues around the globe. Finally, please review and subscribe wherever you are listening from to help grow the show. From all of us at China Insider, we'll see you next week.